Welcome to Farcast. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. We are delighted to have you again, our wonderful listeners. Join us on the Farcast where we discuss Wall Street. Washington and the world. Try and figure out how it's going to impact Wall Street and investors, mostly overall. But all of these things now, as we live in a global marketplace, have a sort of a uh, of a combined confluence of effects that uh, drive stock prices, share prices, bond yields, interest rates around the world, currency levels. So remember that uh, we're going to get into that all of that this week uh, with our three great guests, Jim Urio from the floor of the Chicago. Chicago Exchange, uh, Dan Mahaffey on Washington, um, uh, and uh, and Mark Hamrick, Senior Economic Analyst and the Washington Bureau Chief at Bankrate.com, one of my old greatest buddies in the business, Mark Hamrick. So glad he's with us tonight. Great forecast. Remember that on the forecast, we believe that money's hard to make, that old-fashioned research, hard work, discipline, and patience are the keys to successful investing. And finally, and probably most important for uh, every investor I get to talk to, uh, emotion is the foe of the long-term investor. If you are fearful or glee-filled, don't make investment decisions based on how you feel. Uh, Really look at the numbers. This is a dispassionate, um, disciplined process. Keep it that way and keep your emotion out. They'll lead you to mistakes. Okay, Jim Urio is in block one as we think about what's going on on Wall Street. The managing director of TJM Institutional Services, working on the trading floor of the Chicago Merck since 1987. Look at him on TV, ladies and gentlemen. You'll never believe he's been anywhere other than nursery school since 1987. (laughs) Illinois University, BA in economics. He is the man on CNBC. It's always fun to be on with him. Hey, Jim, welcome back to the Farcast. Thank you so much for having me again. I appreciate it. Uh, well, we're glad to have you. Hey, not a good day today on Wall Street. We heard Sunday night the president suggested uh, that he tweeted out that he's going to impose uh, these tariffs on China uh, coming fri- come this Friday. That was a big shock uh, to investors everywhere. Markets started voting with their feet. Futures started falling. Interest rates started falling, which, by the way, ladies and gen- gentlemen, remember, is a kind of a good thing. It means bond prices. Prices are going up, but it also meant that there was a flight to safety there. Uh, They rallied back, stocks rallied back on Monday, only to fall again further on Tuesday. Jim, what does this all mean? What do you make of all of this? Well, it's real. I mean, we rallied quite a bit on a resolution to the China trade dispute. So it only stands to reason that we take a little bit out as those things are being called. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Right. And the whole thing's not being thrown away. And to me, it also came at a time where we were sitting at very, very comfortable highs. And, okay, so I think of it this way, is that, you know, a hundred tick move lower than the S&Ps on occasion is good because it, like, trims some of the hedges out. It seems, uh, it it seems like, um, remember back a year ago, February, when we started lower and then we uncovered these massive short positions in VIX futures and, like, those ETNs that blew up. Like if there's things that are out there that aren't stably built, every once in a while, it's nice to have a little bit of shock to shake them out. And then we can continue.
continue on our merry way. Do I think this is a huge deal? No, I don't think it's a huge deal. And one of the things I'll put behind it is that we could change the fundamental discussion. I believe we will in the next couple of days. Remember, one week ago, we were talking about how the Fed was waffling. We wanted them to be a little more dovish. They weren't quite as dovish as we thought. Well, now, you know, we know the Fed is scared of its own shadow as soon as asset prices start to collapse. So in our head, we know that the Fed has probably moved the needle slightly more dovish. And as soon as we start talking about that, that probably gives us a fundamental boost. But anyway, from the technical standpoint, I know I've talked too far and too fast from now. 28, 25, we broke out of that a couple months ago. You and I had talked about it at length. Right, Going back right. down and testing it is not that bad a thing. Okay. So a little bit of this weakness is, is not a bad thing. It shakes out some of the weaker hands. Uh, Warren Buffett says uh, you get to, when the tide goes out, you get to see who's swimming naked. So uh, maybe we're uh, going to expose, uh, and maybe not in a good way, some of the skinny dippers. And that's, <laughs> that's, uh, that, that's all right. They should be so these people, these skinny dipping okay, people, they, they need to be found out. We shouldn't say and expose in the same sentence any longer. I know we're having fun on this podcast, but I think that's out, out of line. We, 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 should be, we should be more careful. Hey, you know, um, uh, speaking of, of, of which, and I'll, I'm going to come back to, to exactly what's going off on tariffs. What did you, you watch any of the clips of uh, uh, Buffett and Munger and Bill Gates uh, on CNBC uh, as they were talking from the uh, uh, annual meeting out there for Berkshire Hathaway? Well, sure I did. Do you want me to, to be painfully honest with you about my opinions on Yes, that? I want I you to be painfully will. honest. I do want you, please be painfully honest with us. Our listeners really do appreciate it. What do you think of all of that? Okay, I, I, I've studied Warren Buffett and his investment style, and I have tremendous respect for his investment style. As far as when he starts speaking, he loses me a little bit. Like, he's someone who argues for lower taxes, I mean, uh, for higher taxes, but at the same time made a lot of his money selling insurance products that help people, you know, shelter from taxes. He, you know, owns Kraft Heinz and he owns junk food and then tells everybody that all he does is drink cherry Cokes and McDonald's all day. I think that people should watch. Watch what Warren Buffett's done over the last 50 years or however long it's been and just be amazed at it. But I'm not going to sit and, and listen to much of what he has to say just because we have a very different view on things. And I'm not putting myself in the class of Warren Buffett by any even stretch of the imagination. Well, I will. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I'm going to tell you Yurio's right in there with you. Buffett. <laughs> I mean, right. no, I, you know, there, there, there is a certain limousine liberal-ism uh, to uh, some of what uh, Mr. Buffett says. I did, I, you know, this year I was sort of struck uh, and uh, that Mr. Buffett, I thought, was was showing his age a little more than other years. And, and I noticed in some of his answers they, that he just seemed to be showing his age um, uh, repetitive at times. Um, maybe he was a bit tired. But, he, you know, this is not a young man. I mean, um, sure. He, and, even, and even his attitude towards some sectors, when you hear him speak about cannabis and be like, oh, no, we're not interested in that. Well, that's kind of what we'd expect from a 90-some-year-old man to say. You know, we're not, as we age, I don't think we're, we quite see the changes that are happening when they're happening. Not young and spry like you and I, perhaps. Right, he correct? might like it better if he tried a little bit, you know, but it looked like maybe, perhaps, maybe. you know, that Charlie Munger perhaps had been, uh, might have his prescription at home. <laughs> he looked actually, you know, pretty good at 95 years old. And, you know, I noticed this too, uh, Jim, that um, Munger was answering answering more questions than I'd ever seen him answer. Buffett has always sort of run that whole show. Munger was answering more questions, opining more, filling in more. And at 95 years old, the guy was entirely cogent and sharp.
sharp. It was it was remarkable no to me. Uh, I mean, and I'm a fan of you know Charlie Mungerisms. I always have been. I think he has an interesting and like kind of old school logical way to look at things. And when he says things, I, I listen. Again, I'm not going to rush into uh, you know if they say buy Amazon right. Well, they didn't. They say they were buying Amazon right now. Well, I don't know. It seems like a little late in the game for them, a, a fund like them, to be buying Amazon. Well, they said it was a value. But, but, uh, Buffett said it was a value stock. Don't worry about it. It is a value stock. Really? All right. I, I need to, <laughs> All right. Okay. I, I, that's a, that's a different definition of a value stock uh, than, than, than I have. So, okay, look, I'm gonna, we're going to get to uh, our, our friends uh, uh, Dan Mahaffey and my very dear friend, Mark Hamrick here in a second, uh, but uh, and, and talk about what these tariffs mean. Come on, Yuri. There's no way. I mean, Donald Trump needs a deal here, right? I mean, they'll tell us why politically when we talk. I mean, this is going to happen. Some deal with China's got to happen here. So why well, is he? So no why question. is he stomping yeah, his foot, the president, and acting like it's not going to happen? I don't know, and I don't know if he likes to just control the news cycle. Um, well, yes, you, know, you do. You time. know that he likes to control the news. The I, one thing I, you I know, know about him is he likes so, to control the news cycle, yeah. And, and that's fine, I guess. Um, and, well, we know it's not fine. Um, yes, of course something's going to get done. I think what, what probably happened is up there in, in that you know office, they thought that, well, China's dragging its feet a little bit, and perhaps they're dragging their feet because they're going to try to get as close to the election as they can, and hopefully a softer president comes in, a softer administration comes. And I think Donald Trump is just telling them that's not going to happen, or else you're going to endure 18 months of pain. And I don't, I mean, I want this to be over. Like I've said a million times, if this works, it's brilliant. It's not the path I would have taken, because one, I'm a wimp, and two, I realize that China can withstand <laughs> a lot more pain than we can, because they don't have to really run for re-election. All they have to worry about is when the people grab their pitchfork. And if that's pretty far off, then, then they can handle it, right? Right. Well, and, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we had one of the board members from Yum Brands China uh, on, and apparently they're eating a lot of fried chicken over there. And the more fried chicken they eat, the way he explained it, the further they get from the pitchforks. So that kind of sounded encouraging. Uh, well, people who are well fed don't revolt. Like, everybody talks about how wealth inequality is this big issue here. It's wealth inequality has never caused a, a revolution ever. It's wealth inequality coupled with, with huge poverty at the lower level. If people are well-fed, they don't, there's no revolts that happen. And, and it's just, that's just a fact. Anyone who wants to take the other side of that, good luck. Right. As long as you can still, uh, the average Joe can still go to Mickey D's, have cable and a flat screen, there will be peace in the kingdom, says Far. Well, uh, I, I guess that, you know, huh? I mean, they won't grab their pitchfork and go, you know, and go to the castle. So, right. Wow, well, we got a lot of metaphors, don't we? Well, and but they're all kind of involving pitchforks, which makes me a little nervous. Uh, tell me, Amen. so Jim, as, we, as we're looking at markets and we're looking at stocks, because we're coming to the end of the segment, and this is always too short, with one of our favorite guests, ladies and gentlemen, the great Jim Urio from the floor of the Chicago Exchange. Um, uh, what are you thinking about stocks from here to the end of the year? Is this a buying opportunity? Does this thing uh, is there going to be more weakness here? Does this get carried out a little bit? Well, as I say, I, I tell people what I do and what I'm considering doing. Um, I, and if you saw me on CNBC last week, the, the, when we had that outside day at the highs and then made new lows the next day, I did put on some put protection, and I've taken some of that off today, but I think that what happens is we go back down to between 2850 to 2825, and that's where I plan to start um, 
scaling back in and in, in increasing longs. Again, like I said, I don't think this is the beginning of any sort of calamitous event. I think it's a run-of-the-mill shakeout, and I think that uh, the fundamental story will change along with it, which it surprisingly does when the price starts to go higher. So that would be just about another 2 or 3% lower uh, on the S&P? That's it. Two or three percent lower, you're going to start buying. Yep. Okay, I talked with a client today, and he, he used a quotation I haven't heard before, so I'm going to share it with you as we close just to get your opinion. He said, if we don't have any indication of a deal, a trade deal with China by Friday, that market's going to drop faster than my sister's prom dress. Um, now, uh, that's an awful expression. First off, by the way. Well, so let's get you have to know there. his sister. I think, really. Um, I think, and I don't. But his maybe sister's name is Dot, like and and you wouldn't want to. I mean, Dot 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 is a lovely. Uh, well, she's in her sixties now, but I bet at eighteen that she was. And well, uh, so if we're concerned about a market falling, and not and not alone will it be falling? Uh, are you worried about Friday and not having a deal? I'm worried about Friday, but. It doesn't seem to uh, the extent that Dot's brother's worried about it. <laughs> I, I think that we, because even if we get a no trade deal, they would, even if it was an outright bald faced lie, they would say that we're extending these discussions for another couple weeks while both sides regroup. So there's no way they're just going to both sides walk away and say, yeah, that's over. We're just going to live separately now. That just won't happen. As you listen to Jim Urio, he's looking for a buying point, perhaps on a little bit of additional weakness. Jim Urio, thank you for being on the forecast. You are one of our most popular guests, and we are so grateful to, that you join us uh, as often as you do. It's a great pleasure having you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be right back with Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress. We're going to be talking about what's happening in Washington in another slow week here in D.C. We'll be right back with the forecast. You're listening to Forecast. Do you have an upcoming function and need a dynamic speaker to engage your audience? You've enjoyed listening to the forecast, so why not invite Michael Farr to speak at your next event? In addition to hosting the forecast and serving as president of the advisory firm Farr, Miller, and Washington, Michael is the longest-serving paid contributor to CNBC. He is recognized by audiences, and his presentations on the economic outlook are always well-received. Michael has recently appeared at such venues as the Economic Club of Memphis, the University of Delaware, Matheson Financial Conference, and the YPO-WPO Economic Summit. Add your event to the growing list of organizations who have been informed and captivated by Michael's insights. For more information, or to book Michael for an upcoming event, please email me, Harry Jennings, at hjennings at farmiller.com, or call me at 202-530-5608. Now more with Michael Farr and the Farcast. Welcome back to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thank you so much for being with us again this week. It is a great pleasure uh, to be with you, and we appreciate you taking us along in your car and in your homes and in your earbuds. It, uh, we really do appreciate it, and we thank you for your notes and the feedback we get from you every week. Uh, Jim Murio, what a great segment as we cover Wall Street. Now we move on to Dan Mahaffey in Washington, but Mark Hamrick is in the studio uh, 
with us from Bankrate.com. Mark and I have known one another a long time. He was with the Associated Press for a long time. He is a pros pro. He was president of the National Press Club. I've got a longer bio for him, which I'll do in Section 3. But uh, an insider's insider, great friend for many years. So he's in the studio, so we're going to bring him in in this first segment with Dan. And maybe we'll get Dan to stick around as well uh, so we can talk to uh, Dan in the... uh, uh, in, in Mark's segment. We'll just talk across both of them. So, uh, Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency uh, and Congress. Uh, and we've talked about uh, all of his wonderful background before, a master's degree in security studies with a concentration in U.S. defense policy from Georgetown University, a B.A. in government uh, with a minor in history and Mandarin Chinese, also from Georgetown. He studied in Georgetown, lived in Shanghai. So an expert's expert when we're talking about what's going on with China and how these negotiations will or won't work out with the Chinese. Welcome, Dan. It's a pleasure, as always, to be back. Well, thank you very much. And Mark, welcome. We're glad you're here. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yes, indeed. Uh, so, Dan, uh, would you want to? Shall we start with? Uh, shall we start with trade? I also went to a dinner mm-hmm. uh, Saturday night with Charlie Cook, and he was explaining who was going to win the presidential election uh, in 2020. So I can share that with our listeners, but. Go, go, why don't we? Why don't we, you want to? Yeah, do I think trade? trade trade's been dominating the headlines, All so right. it makes the most sense to start there. I think what you're seeing in our our friend Tony Frado, who's a longtime uh, guest on this program, yes. uh, talked about with CNBC, and I, I had a chance to look at his, his comments. And it's interesting to see one that the the White House is showing that they uh, they do have to do whatever it takes to get uh, the appearance of the best deal possible. Yes, uh, you know, so much of the criticism has been that they're willing to accept things like, oh, we're going to buy more soybeans or open-ended promises like that. I, I even had a trade expert tell me last week that if we tally up the, the Chinese promises on soybeans, it's more than the annual output of the United States when it comes to soybeans. Uh, so, uh, you know, we'd have to change some of the laws of nature uh, if it just is that kind of agricultural mercantilist deal. Um, Beyond that, though, where you have this pressure, it comes back to those areas, uh, the forced technology transfer, intellectual property protection, all those things where we've seen American companies fall into that trap of the capitalists will sell us the rope we'll use to hang them. Right. And the, the Chinese are happy to you know, say, look, we're going to take your, your very valuable research and uh, intellectual property in exchange for Chinese market access. And that's allowing them to kind of keep continuing to surplant in these technological fields. Uh, and that they're right to pressure it. And I think it was interesting to see that you have Mnuchin, Lighthizer, Kudlow, uh, and Navarro all standing there as a unified front on this. You've got members of Congress on both sides of the aisle telling the president to hang tough on these negotiations. Yeah, what's up with that? I think it's a, a realization that even, uh, as Jim said, even if we don't like the way the president has gone about this, he is willing to look at what is the uh, the realignment of the U.S.-China relationship on military, economic, diplomatic, political, all those realms, and really push back for once. But they all know he needs a deal. I mean, how push back? I mean, isn't this just an act? Well, in a certain extent, yes, it, it's all going to be, uh, you know, it's, you know, 
Peking opera to a certain extent. There's right. there's going to be uh, some of that going on, but it's also showing the Chinese that look, we think our market is and our economy is doing stronger right now. Even if uh, Wall Street does throw a bit of a tantrum, uh, we're in a stronger position. And I'm not, I would not be surprised too if we have some politicians starting to say to the markets, uh, "You're overreacting." Uh, I wouldn't go so far as to say unpatriotic, uh, but that some of these measures. Uh, require some short-term pain for long-term gain. But the president knows. But the, can the president? Uh, you can forget everybody else. Does the can the president endure short-term pain? I mean, he doesn't seem to have a really long attention span here. How long can he take a real, uh, a sustained down market without having to do something about it? Well, he came out of the six-week government shutdown thinking he'd won. Well, yes. And that's the, you know, that's that mindset where, and particularly if he says, look, I've got Schumer agreeing with me. He, his morning uh, intelligence briefing from Fox News is going to be uh, very uh, lauded, lauding his, uh, his measures here. I, I think they continue to actually see people say, look, he's, we don't uh, agree with it, but the, the Chinese are kind of sons of guns and Trump's our son of a gun going after him. Okay, so maybe maybe everybody seems to be united that this is the right way to do it, and we should stand up. We should stand up against them. Uh, don't we all know that we just really do need a deal? And at some, I mean, how long does this hold out before they sort of all agree to fold their cards at the same time? Well, I think you see. That, I mean, then what we're all waiting for. Well, what you're waiting to see is do the Chinese actually really move and put some of these uh, protections of intellectual property and technology transfer reforms in law rather than uh, sort of an administrative netherworld where uh, Communist Party courts get to decide what is the uh, what is the answer. Um, beyond that, uh, look, you have U.S. companies. Do they, do we see more like we saw with Harley Davidson? I know they were talking with the uh, Polaris, the you know ATVs yeah, yeah, yeah. and those. Uh, you know, they're the ones that are feeling the pain when it comes to the the inputs that come in from China. Uh, But beyond that, you know, how does this fit into, look, if manufacturing's moving to Mexico, is that actually better for the U.S. in the long run because you have a a like-minded geographic and geopolitical ally uh, rather than continuing to uh, promote the living standards in a a communist uh, country that is seeking to surpass the U.S.? Um, I want to change the topic for a second. We've got we've got uh, Congress is asking for a lot of information from the White House. Uh, it seems that Secretary Mnuchin is saying no, we're not going to send you the president's tax returns. The Secretary of the Treasury is now involved in this discussion with Congress about the president's tax returns, saying no, you really don't have a good enough reason to look at them. Then the White House is telling Don McGinn uh, not to give. Uh, Mueller documents mm-hmm. to Congress uh, and telling people he's, not to testify or appear. Yeah. Uh, you've got Barr who says, I'm not coming back to testify. Uh, how long does this game of chicken go on and what are they trying to accomplish? Well, this game of chicken goes on because the White House has never really seemed to be fond of the idea of congressional oversight, nor did they ever get used to it uh, when uh, the House was controlled by Republicans. Uh, Beyond that, 
there's a lot of discomfort from institutionalists when you see someone like Attorney General Barr being the president's defense attorney or the secretary of the treasury acting like the president's banker. Uh, those, <laughs> those uh, in, in a way, uh, make people wonder, okay, you know, how are these officials doing their jobs? And I think Congress, you know, Pelosi is so far held off on impeachment, um, although I think we're going to see a move to have Mueller testify uh, publicly, which is going to be a great television and you know how the president feels about uh, airtime and and how the, how things are uh, scripted in reality Washington TV uh, beyond that, uh, you have this uh, measure, though, where it, it's you know fundamental questions about what is Congress's role in oversight and how do we handle that? Do they try and run out the clock until the election, hoping that the tax returns and, and Mueller details uh, stay under wraps? I think that's part of their goal. Um, I also think that uh, Congress is going to have to look and say, well, uh, maybe we don't go with uh, impeachment of the president, but you can uh, censure or impeach members of the cabinet. And you think that might be next? I think there's at least going to be more and more talk of it uh, if these impasses continue. Mark Hamrick, what do you think about what's going on in why? Have you ever seen anything <laughs> like this in your career in Washington? Not in real life. <laughs> the House of Cards got kind of weird there for a while, you know. Uh, did, the, did the House of Cards get this weird? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I yeah, don't think yeah, it did. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't. I don't think House of Cards uh, got this weird. Um, can it be done, Mark? Can so I, I'm seeing slow playing. We're, we're hearing that the Chinese are basically slow playing the U.S. negotiations. Let's not do anything too material and see if we can wait this guy out and end up with a softer, gentler Democrat uh, to deal with as president. Is the White House doing the same thing to Congress? Are they just going to slow play this whole thing and see if they can get to the election without having to de deal deliver anything that's too material? Well, uh, obviously that is among the key questions. But you know, as Dan was talking, talking essentially about the oversight that Congress uh, is essentially constitutionally uh, asked to do. Uh, let's remember also that really some of the most damaging actions that have uh, taken a toll on the administration has happened at the judicial level, yes. right? And so, Dan, uh, my question sort of going down that road is, isn't that ultimately given the dynamic of Republicans controlling the Senate, where this White House may ultimately continue to face its greatest peril in the near term? I, I think, yes, with the uh, with a Republican Senate, you do have the, the idea of these court uh, cases, challenges to uh, how the White House wants to go. They are going to be challenged by court Courts. Uh, we'll have to see how courts answer the questions of standing and injury, because that's always interesting in, in political disputes. Uh, but then you get down, if you if you expedite this and take it to its ultimate conclusion, that uh, the Anthony Kennedy retirement and Brett Kavanaugh uh, being on the Supreme Court becomes a, a lot more interesting to follow. And so does the health checkup and report of RBG, the notorious yes, and great RBG. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to go to break and come back with segment three. I'm going to ask Dan to stay with us and come to come back with Mark Hamrick. Thank you so much for being with us. We're going to be right back on the Farcast. You're listening to Farcast. Thank you for listening to The Farcast. We'd like to introduce a new daily show for you, The Farcast 3-Minute Morning Brief. Every morning before the sun rises, we bring you markets, commodities, and futures. Just the facts to start your day. The Farcast 3-Minute Morning Brief. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, or your favorite platform. And now, back to Michael and The Farcast. You're listening to Farcast. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. 
Welcome back to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thank you so much for joining us. We're having a terrific Farcast. Harry just looked up and said, "Wait a minute, that wasn't that wasn't a full segment. That was a have. Why'd you cut that off? Oh, I'll be damned. It was a full segment. It was a full segment. It was good. Yeah. So that's when you guys get interesting. I, I'm just I'm just here to uh, you know play a little uh, bass and sing a little backup. So, uh, Mark Hamrick uh, joining us for the lead uh, third segment here, a senior economic analyst at the in Washington Bureau Chief for Bankrate.com. You have seen Mark for years uh, on television. You've heard him for years and years on the radio. Sorry, I'm making you sound old, aren't I, for all of those? That's truthful. Uh, well, I, you, you, you have, but we've known one another years and years. He's joined uh, the personal finance site Bankrate.com in January 2013. Really? Was it that long yeah, ago? Almost seven years now. Wow. Uh, he led the business news uh, division for Associated Press radio and television uh, for almost 20 years before that. You know, he's from Kansas uh, and uh, second generation journalist uh, with Bankrate. But, um, you know, people from Kansas just they really don't have an accent. And so you all do. You Kansas people do very well in news and media, which is which is wonderful. That's the first thing people want to know is, are you from Kansas? And then that's the, then the response is you're hired. We'll give you the We'll give you the yeah. job. And then yeah. listen to the dulcet tones. I mean, you listen. I mean, he's really, he's got that lower register. It's fabulous. Okay. Uh, we were talking about uh, any number of, of uh, very germane things, Mark, before we left. I s- talked with Charlie Cook on um, over the weekend. Charlie Cook was going through the entire sort of list as best one can with 22 now running, have announced for uh, Democratic uh, candidates for the uh, presidency. And uh, one thing uh, um, uh, he was saying was it's, it's still so hard to see whether they go with old school, the uh, uh, new school charismatic or because he doesn't think they're going to go with the crazy left. Um, pretty much crazy left doesn't do it. And then it comes down to old school and new school charismatic um, to see which might stand a chance. He said that uh, should Howard Schultz enter, President Trump wins, uh, that that is the huge spoiler if that were to happen. Pretty much any third party candidate, third party candidate can't win. He said it should a Republican candidate show up to try and run against the president. That person could be identified some ages hence by their dental records. They will be so immolated by the president and it would be political suicide. If he, he said, you know, basically, if they stand a chance for president in 2024, why torch yourself in 2020 and let him uh, make you his punching bag for that period? You, He's already talking about Sleepy Joe. So uh, that's that's uh, that's uh, the, the, the basic uh, of the Cook Report. What, what say you about all that? Well, Charlie Cook is a wise man, and uh, one would not be wise to disagree with him. I think that there's a lot there that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, as I you know try to really be politically, professionally agnostic myself, and, and as I go about doing my job, um, you know, I, I, most important thing for me is to try to be fair and also acknowledge all the things I don't know, right? And so, so many of the things that I thought I used to know, I actually don't know. Uh, I mean, the, the, <laughs> the, the uh, electoral process of the of the most recent presidential election being a case in point. But I, I think that the polling does tell us that the, the that Democratic voters are most interested in winning the election. Yes, and and they are willing to sacrifice on, let's say, pet peeve issues toward that cause. And so, obviously, then that that means that that 
marginalizes to some degree, quote unquote, the progressives. That seems to elevate the likes of Joe Biden. Uh, and uh, and obviously the early polling, and this is 18 months away from a presidential election, the only early polling does seem to help or uh, affirm uh, the would-be wisdom of Joe Biden getting into the race. So uh, I, I think that much of the gnashing of teeth that is about socialists taking over the United States of America is not warranted because we know that people have trotted out that argument in uh, in not being fans of such radical programs as Social Security and working 40-hour work weeks right. and having weekends off. Uh, so Charlie Cook uh, used uh, uh, three words that, uh, that together that made me... Uh, uh, actually four words together, made me very uncomfortable, and I'm a little uncomfortable in the day of political correctness to even repeat them. But he said the problem for the president right now is college-educated white women. Now, I don't even feel like I can say college-educated. I can't even say white women on the on the uh, podcast here, but I'm going to just risk it. That is, that, that is the demographic uh, that seems to be leaning against uh, President Trump here. Can he win them back? What do you think, Dan? No. No. You know, Charlie said something else. He said, I've talked, you know, I've talked to women uh, who... If I told them that President Trump just cured cancer, heart disease, found world peace and prosperity, solved every issue in the Middle East, they'd say, fine, I'm not voting for him. Yeah, barring someone like uh, Bernie Sanders coming along and saying that the, uh, you know, the, the health care system is going to be entirely reshaped and, and home values and everything that would hit people right smack in the pocketbooks, uh, I see no way that that cohort, which moved so strongly to Democrats in the uh, midterms, uh, comes back to the Republicans under with Trump at the top of the ticket. Now, is that is that a death knell for his candidacy? I mean, does that put it in jeopardy? And everybody's been wrong. About this, right? I mean, everybody's been wrong about whether he could do it. Or well, not. well, look, it puts some, and it's almost you feel silly talking about it in May of 2019 when you're yeah. saying what's going to happen in November of 2020. Uh, it does put states like Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin back into play Ohio, in yeah. a way. Ohio, those states. Ohio, I think, is is a different case because of its economic situation. Right. Uh, the the White House thinks they can flip Minnesota, which would which would be huge. Um, but then you also look at where uh, parts of the Sun Belt that were solidly Republican came pretty close to flipping, or in the case of a state like Arizona, did flip Democrat. Uh, and I think also, uh, as Charlie points out too, that the uh, and and Mark as well that the the pragmatism of the Democratic electorate uh, will kick in to a certain point. Uh, you also think about the momentum. You know, we're kind of in pregame here, but if we consider, right. uh, you know, Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, those are not states that have a a strong progressive movement uh, in them, like you would think of uh, the Bronx right. or so, the suburbs of Detroit, things like that. Right. So, Mark, does Wall Street care? Tell us, tell us how this is going to affect well, Wall Street. I think Street you're the, the one that should actually answer that question, but I'll give it a, I'll give it a swing. Um, I don't think so. Uh, obviously, the, the, you know, we had an almost mystifying rally from election day on uh, that, you know, we remember how the stock futures turned when it was right. obvious that 
Donald Trump was becoming president of the United States, and it's basically been off to the races since then. But, you know, let's remember that history tells us that traditionally the stock market does well in Democratic administrations. It does, yes. Uh, I don't think that Joe Biden is going to go off the reservation in the sense of doing things that are radically different than what he was essentially part of in the Obama administration, and and, uh, and the market did well by that president. So uh, you tell me, but, uh, you know, first of all, we have Democrats obviously running the House of Representatives. Uh, they don't have the ability to enact a legislation, uh, for the most part, that can be passed by the Senate. But um, I think probably, ultimately, it's going to fall to something that we've been watching, you know, for, for decades now, and that is whether the Congress continues to be divide, divided and whether there is essentially a check on the presidency, but the other way around next time, if indeed Donald Trump doesn't win. Well, you know, when you think about the Trump rally that began as of the election, I think there was that moment where people said, well, oh my God, he's president now. What are we going to do? Well, what did he say he was going to do? Well, he was going to get rid of regulation. He was going to de- he wants to deregulate. He wants to lower taxes. He wants to cut the corporate tax rate. He wants an infrastructure spending bill. He wants to address the uh, 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 Obamacare health care plans uh, from a cost perspective. And it really is truly out of control. And if he does all those things, hell, maybe I feel OK about owning stocks in this environment. Mark, I think that's what's happened. That what happened. And I think that that's the way investors will react to whoever may be the next president of the United States. And it may be Donald Trump again. Right. Uh, and they're going to look to those things like, what did he say he's going to do? And so what can we expect? And, and do we get more Obama area era policies from a Joe Biden? And are President Obama's coattails long enough? Uh, markets did okay uh, during the Obama years, but markets were not. I don't. I don't believe markets were reacting to President Obama's policies. I think they were reacting to what the Federal Reserve right. was doing in monetary policy and and all of the stimulus that was being created and shoved into into markets. So uh, we're kind of in a new and different world. But uh, as you look at Wall Street, can I just add yes, one point please, to that though? Please, oh God, yes. we got we got out <laughs> unscathed under, under the Federal Reserve chairmanship yes. of Janet Yellen who obviously had the support of Barack Obama. So the it's a, most it's, dovish Fed chairman in history, I still continue to believe. I, d- I don't think that Jay Powell is as dovish as Janet Yellen. We'll see. <laughs> Won't we? And isn't yes. that an interesting... Because, you know, as I talk to Fed presidents uh, over the winter, uh, one-on-one, there was a strong indication that they're going to stop their bond repurchases uh, sometime over the summer. And I'm looking for sort of July and August uh, for them. And which means uh, the Fed is still uh, uh, out there. Uh, selling off bonds. I'm sorry, selling off uh, bonds from their portfolio. If they stop that and stop that added supply to the markets, that could further ease rates. Well, they've pledged that. You know, so I mean that's that's a policy that has essentially been promised, but we have been promised things before by the Federal Reserve. Well, we've been promised with that with that one caveat of data dependency. Oh, yeah. I mean, what was it going to look like then? And then maybe we'll do it, and depending of once we hold our fingers into the collective winds at that moment. Uh, and, I, and I also think, real quick, to, to quickly yeah, pivot Joey. back to fiscal policy, though, Democrats may look at the 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 political impact of the president's tax cuts and think that there's not much of a uh, of an impact 
or a boost from a tax cut. Uh, I don't think they should underestimate the difficulty of pulling them back, though, so that whoever does win, uh, as the if a Democrat does beat Donald Trump, uh, that it's going to be very hard to pull those tax rates back up. Uh, fiscal situation be damned. Including the uh, estate tax rates? Well, you know, they might all do something like show the Kardashians and then ask people how they feel about <laughs> intergenerational wealth transfer. Uh, that could change everybody's opinion on intergenerational wealth transfer. Mark, uh, before we go here, uh, the markets for the year have been fabulous. They've rallied off that December bottom. Uh, we're hitting some headwinds here as the trade dispute. Tell us about what Fred and Ethel should be thinking about for the balance of this year right. from a market that's still relatively pretty high. So a bank rate, you know, we're all always pretty much about the long term and we're trying to help people achieve their financial goals as as you are as well Michael and and so we do tend to take a long term perspective and and uh, you know that is not to discount let's say short term moves that people need to make and so uh, you know we are constantly you know talking about data that points to things like that that we find that 40% of the American public only 40% can pay an emergency expense of $1000 or more from their savings from Isn't their emergency remarkable? savings. Yeah, now here we are. Say 10, that again. Give that Only 40% yeah. of the American public can pay an emergency expense of $1,000 or more from their savings. Now, so, I'm going to do some math in my head. That means 60% of the American yeah. public can't afford a $1,000 emergency out of savings. Right. Uh, living paycheck to paycheck, right? And here we are 10 years into the economic expansion. So what we want to constantly say to people is, Work on your savings. Make sure that you're, you know, putting as much money into your retirement fund as you can. Take advantage of the 401k match. Please Get, do that. Listen absolutely. to Mark Hamrick. This man is making great sense, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. If you are listening, listen. Do do what he says. Well, and and so the, and then to wrap that part up, and then to pay down debt, and uh, whether it's credit card debt or any other kind, because as we all know, the economic expansion turns 10 years old this summer. And the business cycle, the law of the business cycle has not yet been repealed. We will have a downturn at some point. The good news is right now we don't see the whites of that downturn's eyes. So this is the time to make financial hay while the sun shines. Wow. I love it. Trees don't grow forever to the sky. Uh, there will be uh, some cloudy days in the future. Take advantage of the sunshine now. Uh, get your financial house in order if it's not there. Save some money. Get yourself on a good course for retirement. You'll sleep better at night. Take it from us at the Farcast, from Mahaffey, uh, from Hamrick, from Harry over there. Even Eric's nodding his head over there uh, at the control board. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us again this week on the Farcast in Washington, D.C. With a very grateful heart to each and every one of you, I'm Michael Farr. Thank you for listening to the Farcast. We hope you enjoy the show as much as we enjoy making it for you. Please share with a friend. The Farcast comes to you each week on all major podcast platforms. The Farcast is produced by Michael Farr and Harry Jennings, and our production engineer is Claude Jennings. Our home studio is Chatter Studio in Friendship Heights, Washington, D.C. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at farcast at farmiller.com. Let us know what you liked, what you take issue with, and what topics you'd like to hear in coming weeks. We would like to remind you that if you think you have heard a recommendation to buy or sell any security here on the Farcast, you haven't. 
The Farcast podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal or financial advice. Before you make any investment decision, we strongly recommend you consult with a financial professional to determine what may be best for your individual needs and goals. If we can be of assistance at Farm Miller in Washington, please reach out to us at invest at farmmiller.com. Our team of professionals does more than just pick stocks and trade bonds. We work with our clients to reach their goals. We have a great lineup of guests upcoming on the Farcast. Coming this month, Martin Barnes of BCA Research, James Pethokoukas of the American Enterprise Institute, and audience favorite Jack Berugian of UCX Returns. Go beyond the headlines every week with the Farcast, Wall Street, Washington, and the world.